Ephesians 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you so much for this day and for the grace that you give us. We thank you for the hope and the promises of your word, and we pray that by your word today, you work in our lives, you draw us near to you. We love you, Lord. We thank you that you first loved us. We we trust in you. We look to you today. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning once again. Great privilege uh, to come together as always. Thankful that the snow didn't amount to anything. As you guys know, I'm a big fan of no snow. You thought I was going to say snow. (laughs) Sarcastically, but no, I'm a big fan of not snowing. Uh, But we're we're just grateful to be here in, in all opportunities the Lord gives us. It is such a blessing. Here today, we begin our study through the book of Ephesians. And as you can tell, we are going to move at lightning speed. <clears throat> I wasn't ready. I wasn't quite ready. I'm standing over here, and I'm like, oh, he's done reading already. I got to get up on the stage. There's only two verses. We usually have been like, you know, 10, 12, you know. Um, but, you know, in Ephesians It is so rich, so full of doctrine. Um, We we are going to be taking little little chunks at a time. And and I've been amazed as I've been studying at the inspiration of Paul. And as he wrote this letter, he he says a simple phrase, uh, like in him, and we'll see that many times throughout this letter, Uh, He says those simple words, and we're like, yeah, that's great, but there is so much involved in that, Uh, and there's many simple phrases or even words that Paul writes, and it looks like it's something simple, but he's got such great meaning behind it. Truly, Paul was inspired, and uh, we are grateful. Uh, You know, we're looking at today simply a greeting and introduction to the letter, Uh, But it is so rich and full of doctrine and direction, and we're going to have quite a journey through it for who knows how long. I mean, could be years. (laughs) Martin Lloyd-Jones actually uh, wrote or or taught a whole message on a comma in the book of Ephesians. So I'm not going to do that. We'll we'll get through at least a a verse or two each week, but uh, here today, looking at this letter that was written to the church of Ephesus, and uh, by way of introduction, let's just lay a little bit of groundwork in the city of Ephesus, and the city of Ephesus was a large and important city. Uh, modern day, we, we look at the, the map, and it's Turkey. It's in Turkey, the Asia Minor, and it was known as a place where east meets west. 
It's this kind of this central point, this middle ground, and it was a place of trade, and, and a lot of different exciting things were taking place. In that day, some 350,000 uh, the, was the population then, and, and that was a big city. We think 350,000, mean, that's nothing, right? Go to New York, and there's millions, and all these cities around the world, but in that day, that was a big city, had influence, and was this middle ground, where east meets west, like I said, and uh, even in, in that sense of where the, uh, the Greek influence and under the Roman government met this uh, eastern religion that had crept in over here. And all these things kind of coming together in this place of Ephesus. And it's well known for its link to the world. Famous for this temple to the Greek goddess Diana, a statue of her there. One of the wonders of the world in the day. And it w- there was the shrine of the image of the mother goddess Diana that was it, supposedly, they claim that it fell from the sky. So in reality, and we don't have to go so far into this worship of Diana and this temple, and the reality is it was a place of pagan worship. That was a great focus, and this city was well known for its pagan worship. Uh, Paul spent much of his third missionary journey in Ephesus. And about two to three years that he went and spent in Ephesus, while he was there, great discipleship happened. And out of that discipleship was the church plant. And out of the church plant of Ephesus, there were church plants surrounding Ephesus. Uh, And that's just the beauty of of the the church at work. The church is, when the church is thriving and at work, there's more churches that are happening. Because you can't really contain it, right, to one church. And, and even hearing, you know, Will's vision uh, this morning for the, the young adult unify, to bring people together, recognizing this is the church. It's believers. It's people who are in Christ. And we'll unpack that a little bit more, uh, not just today, but in reality throughout this entire letter here to the Ephesian church. But let's just, for a moment, you could turn with me to Acts chapter 18. If you have your Bible, if you need one, you could raise your hand. Uh, You could go there on your smart device if you like. If you only have your journal on Ephesians, I'm sorry, that's my fault. Uh, I told you to get this and take notes, so now you just get to know. Acts chapter 18 Uh, We're going to look briefly there in 18 and 19 on just a little bit of the introduction of the beginning of the church of Ephesus. In Acts chapter 18, verse 24, it says this, Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in the spirit He spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he desired to cross to Achaia, 
The brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, and when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace, for he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. Now, what we're seeing here in Acts chapter 18 is the beginning of the gospel to Ephesus. This man, Apollos, as this certain Jew, eloquent in the scriptures, he had an understanding. He had been raised up to understand, and he was sharing that understanding of the gospel and the simplicity of the gospel. Jesus is the Christ. Amen. That is the great, the good news, the gospel. Jesus is the Christ who died on the cross and rose from the dead. And so out of that, people's lives are being changed. Out of that, there are people coming to belief and understanding that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and they would have a relationship with him. This is the gospel to Ephesus. But now it says there that he only knew the baptism of John. And so Apollos, the evangelist, brings the gospel to Ephesus, and yet it is a a basic version, so to speak. And then further in Acts chapter 19, we'll continue reading from verse 1. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And finding some disciples, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And so they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, into what then were you baptized? So they said, into John's baptism, because that's all they knew. From learning from Apollos, that's all they knew. And there was, there's nothing wrong with that because there was a lack of understanding. But now here comes Paul to bring a greater understanding of the power of the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he said, uh, after this, then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, amen, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about 12 in all, and he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. This is the beginning now of discipleship taking place and the baptism of the Holy Spirit of these believers in Ephesus. There were believers there. There were disciples there, but they only knew in part. Paul showed up to bring them along a little further to bring them into this opportunity of discipleship and say, guys, look, there's more. And all they knew was just this baptism of John. He's like, Jesus came after John and he baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus himself said that. And Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead to give us a picture of this baptism and this resurrection with Christ. So this is Paul's ministry at Ephesus. This is now the beginning of the church of Ephesus. People were impacted by the ministry of Apollos, but the people of Ephesus were lacking in discipleship, and they were lacking in spiritual maturity and in leadership. And so now Paul, with these 12 men, disciples them, brings them to this place of understanding the the Holy Spirit and being baptized in the Holy Spirit, and then 
this discipleship would lead to the early church of Ephesus and these now 12 being the leaders of the church of Ephesus. And so now the letter that Paul writes comes about 10 years after the start of the church of Ephesus. So that 10, in that 10 year span, uh, they, they had matured in their faith, in their walking with Jesus. There was great growth within their church. There was great growth then beyond that was spreading of the gospel was taking place. And in this region, in this time, there was a great spiritual awakening. We want to remember that. There was great spiritual awakening, but there was this need for discipleship. And this letter to the church of Ephesus was unique. Unique in that it was not very corrective. Other letters we see were correcting a lot of problems in the church. Especially you read First and Second Corinthians. There was a lot of problems. The church had got, become very corrupt in many ways. And there's a, there's a lot of correction there. But now here in Ephesus, it wasn't so much about correction, but direction and doctrine. Teaching this great doctrine. And there is... These six chapters, as I, you know, we look at them in Ephesians, it's going to take us a, lot, a long time, as I said before, because it's so rich. Paul might make a simple statement, but there's a lot to that statement. And it's clear the inspiration behind it. And this letter is unique that we, he focuses on redemption that we have in Christ. Remember those words, in Christ, especially in this first chapter, but throughout the entire letter, remember those words, a key phrase in Christ used throughout this letter, used throughout Paul's letters altogether. Uh, but what he's doing in this letter, not, as I said, so much uh, addressing problems in the church, but explaining great themes in Christianity and great doctrines in Christianity. Focused on God's work in the church. The church being a community of believers. And Paul writes these things from a prison cell. And in that prison cell, I believe he had this great understanding. As he had a great understanding of suffering, this is so full of richness in his understanding of suffering. Spoken of, this letter is spoken of as the most majestic expression of the gospel. Spurgeon says this, the epistle to the Ephesians is a complete body of divinity. In the first chapter, you have the doctrines of the gospel. In the next, you have the experience of the Christians. And before the epistle is finished, you have the precepts of the Christian faith. Let us read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest the epistle to the Ephesians. And now we'll get into the text here, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. We have this basic groundwork, and from there we understand who the writer is right here in the greeting, Paul. Now, we write letters differently today, don't we? We write a letter to whom it may concern, or we put their name at the top with the little comma, and then we start saying what we need to say. So to say, is like, hey, you, listen up. Now, the, the greeting here is not so different in reality, but different approach, the presentation of here's who it is. Instead of putting a name at the bottom of the letter like we would do, 
It's saying, listen, Paul. Paul, he had a great influence in Ephesus as he led many Christians, uh, led people to Christ and discipled them as we read in Acts chapter 19. This letter from Paul had a lot of weight because of his influence in Ephesus. Because he had poured his life into people. Look, we see that. We see that today. As you pour your life into people, you have greater influence into those people. As you give more of yourself, you have a greater influence. And so Paul had great influence because he gave of himself. These couple years that he spent there were very influential, and people would remember that and listen now to the words that he has to say. Paul, an apostle. He's claiming himself to be an apostle, but then he says it's by the will of God. It's it's according, and it's an apostle of Jesus Christ, but this apostle, he is defining himself as an apostle dedicated and called by Jesus to the work of the ministry. An apostle, being someone who has seen the resurrected Christ. We have the disciples who would become apostles, right? They were called the apostles, and there was 11, and it wasn't, Judas wasn't one of them. He never saw the resurrected Christ. And then the, the disciples tried to then take, you know, Matthias and vote him in. Didn't work out so good, but I believe that Paul was the 12th of the apostles, as he did, in fact, on the road to Damascus, see the risen Christ in his glorified state and, of course, being called to ministry by the word of Christ himself. Jesus showed up on that road to Damascus and spoke to Paul. These are marks of an apostle. Given this word and this calling directly from Jesus out of the mouth of Jesus in his resurrected state. Paul being an apostle of Jesus. So these things so far, Paul, his influence, it held weight. So his writing holds weight. An apostle, that holds weight. There is this influence of just being an apostle, of having that title, so to speak. And then of Jesus Christ. Now that holds the greatest weight. That is the name that matters. Jesus Christ And that's what actually qualifies Paul for ministry and validates the work of the ministry and validates the words of this letter. It's Jesus Christ. And the fact that he is an apostle, he is a sent one of Jesus Christ. Whoever we are, whatever our title, really doesn't matter. When it comes down to it, it is that we are in Christ and we are disciples of Christ sent out to be ministers of the gospel. But it's the name of Christ. It's the name of Jesus that matters. That's what gives authority and that's what qualifies us for ministry. That's what validates our calling. That's what validates the words that come out of our mouth. It's Jesus. Now, Paul was a well-educated man. He was raised up as a Hebrew of Hebrews, a good Jewish boy who went to school and learned everything that you could possibly learn. Top of the class. But he was deceived. He would admit that, and he says himself in the writing to the Corinthian church, for I have determined not to know anything among you 
except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That validates everything. You know, everything else that we look for to validate our feelings, our influences, our our attempts at life and ministry, nothing else will validate except for Jesus Christ and that we have been with him and trusted in him and we're walking with him. That validates us. Nothing else. Paul would go on later in ministry to have this, these testimonies to share, and he, goes, he has a great testimony, right? I mean, Jesus showed up, knocked him off the horse, and blinded him by the light, and it was an amazing experience. But that testimony is simply that he's a changed man, and it's validated because it's of Jesus. Not validated by any other experience other than Jesus himself. There's other things that might bring us along and help us grow in understanding and maturity, but it's Jesus who validates. So then he, he goes on to say, it is now he is an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Further validation of Paul's commitment and calling to ministry. It is by the will of God. He is called by the will of God, not by the will of man. Meaning he is also not swayed by the will of man. When he's got a calling, he's like, I'm called, I'm gonna write this letter and I'm gonna write other letters and these letters, some of them, there may be controversial things that are said, but he is called by the will of God to press in, to disciple, to minister. It validates his commitment. It validates his calling. He is called by the will of God and not of man. He is also called by the power of God. The will of God is connected to the power of God. The power of God and not his own influence. Not toiling in the flesh. Not going at it and just saying, I've got this and I can figure it out. And I'm going to take everything that I know and understand to try to validate my calling to ministry. No, I'm going to take Jesus. I'm gonna walk with Jesus to validate who I am and my calling to ministry. God's will is what matters. Because he is an apostle of Jesus Christ who is called by the will of God in this greeting, that's the groundwork. Because he is an apostle of Jesus Christ called by the will of God, listen up. He's good. He's got some good stuff to say. This man has been changed. This man is called and he is validated by the will of God, by the words and the works of Jesus Christ. So listen to him. Then he says, so this is, he's presenting himself and and, and somewhat listing his credentials and his credentials are, he's he's an apostle. He is dedicated to Jesus. Then he goes on now, who is the letter to? To the saints in Ephesus and the faithful. This is written in a way to include several or many or all the churches, even beyond Ephesus and even to this day. The saints, believers, that's, it translates to saints are believers, and this is the title given to believers by God. Saints. In Ephesus, and then the faithful, also believers. 
Believers in Jesus Christ, these are the, this is one category but two different titles. Paul presents himself and his title, and now he says this is a letter to, here are the titles, it's believers. It's believers specifically in Ephesus, and it's believers beyond Ephesus. In some ancient manuscripts, the word Ephesus is not there. In this same letter, that would be a blank left there. It would indicate even this letter went out in circulation to many churches of that day. No doubt Paul wrote this letter to the church of Ephesus, but as it is inspired, it is scripture, it is living and powerful, and it is written to us today. So as we read this, we might say, to the saints of Cornerstone Church, to the believers, to the faithful of the year 2022. And so as we we take this first verse, we recognize this. Paul, he's got all the credentials. He's an inspired man of God, an apostle. And the words that he's writing are no doubt inspired But this letter is to us. Yes, it's to the church of Ephesus, but it's to us. Believers, listen up. Listen to the words that Paul would say. To the faithful, to those who are in Christ Jesus. There's the word. There's the first time we see it in Christ. The faithful in Christ. These words, in Christ, is used 27 times in this letter. 165 times in Paul's many letters. In Christ is connected to transformation. And in Christ is connected to satisfaction. You see, if we are in Christ, we are a new creation. There's transformation. We will be changed as we are in Christ. And at the same time, if it's Christ in us, he's gonna change us. And we will be satisfied as we have fellowship. It's more than just the term of Christianity. Being in Christ is more than just like, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. Being in Christ is about a spiritual intimacy and fellowship and nearness with Jesus. That we would be walking with Jesus. Not just putting the title of Christian on our shirt, on our our gold chain that we hang around our neck, or on a hat, or on just our life, on our social media, say, "I'm I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. But would we say that we are in Christ? Christ. It's much more than just the title of Christian, but of a dedication and a fellowship, an intimate spiritual fellowship with Jesus Christ. In reality, this letter to all who are in fellowship with Jesus Christ and walking with Jesus. Listen up. This is the word for you. Now that we've gotten through this this 
greeting that seems so basic. Now here's the beginning. Here is the groundwork that Paul is laying for the entire rest of the letter. The first word, verse 2, grace. Grace to you. Grace meaning unmerited favor. This is a greeting that's typical of Paul in his letters. This is how he opened them. He would open them in a similar way. He might call himself a bondservant or an apostle, but he opens in a similar way, and he opens with grace. Because they needed to understand grace. Grace to you. You need to understand grace. And so that's the word for us. It's not just the church of Ephesus, but it's grace to you, Cornerstone Church. Grace to you today. It is essential for us to walk in his grace, to understand the grace of God. Now, this is a hard thing to understand, isn't it? Throughout this book, we hope to unpack a little bit more that we might have a greater understanding of the grace of God. As Pastor Mark even shared in announcements, how influential this book was to him because it was about understanding God's grace. We have this idea because, honestly, religion has given us an idea that God is out to get us. Now, we have to meet his standards or else. And if we don't meet his standards, then we have all these other things that we have to do to try to get right with him. Well, he made us right. Jesus made us right with him. That's grace, unmerited favor. God's not out to get us. God loves us. He loves us so much he sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. And and he rose from the dead. So this unmerited favor, this grace, it's the starting point. Grace needs to be the starting point of all the doctrines to be unfolded here in the, the letter to the Ephesian church. Because grace is the starting point to understanding doctrine. If we don't base it all back on grace and on Jesus himself, then our doctrine's gonna be all over the place. Our theology's gonna go wild. We're gonna just grab it. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. Oh, yeah, I'll have some of that. I'll, I'll get some of this. You know, we're like making a stew and we're just throwing in all sorts of different things If we don't have grace, it gets a little wacky. Our doctrine, our theology will get a little wacky if we don't start with grace. Because what is grace? It's Jesus. Jesus and his death on the cross and his resurrection is the picture, the image of grace. It needs to be the starting point to understanding doctrine especially the doctrines that we are about to begin to unfold here throughout this book of Ephesians. And guys, Paul, as I referenced even before, Paul understood grace. In Acts chapter nine, I'll read it. You don't have to turn there. In Acts chapter nine, listen to Paul and his transformation. Verse one says, then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. 
And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. And he was three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. This is Paul's conversion. He's called Saul, but later his name would be changed to Paul. But these are some of the marks of the beginning of his ministry and calling and his understanding of grace. Now, we saw there in the beginning that Saul was breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And he went to the high priest to try to get this validation, sign off on this, send me, and I'm going to go find those Christians, those of the way in Damascus, and I'm going to bring them bound. At all costs, I'm going to bring them back. Paul was radical. He was hardcore. He's going, he's ripping Christians out of their homes, out of their synagogues, out of their churches, out of their place of worship, bound to Jerusalem. And he's trying to do it in Damascus and Jesus shows up along the way. And in this, Paul's amazed by the grace that's been given to him. This transformation that took place is unbelievable. That's what grace does. It transforms. It changes us. But what happened is that Paul saw Jesus. At the same time he saw his own sin, he got direction straight from Jesus, and he responded in obedience. That's what grace does. Do you see Jesus for who he is? What he's done? the Son of God who died on the cross and rose from the dead, the simple message of the gospel, do you see Jesus for who he is and what he's done? Do you, like Paul, see your own sin as Jesus points it out? Do you receive the word from the Lord and respond in obedience? That's what it is to understand grace. And you know what? We, we have to make decisions every day that demonstrate our commitment to Jesus Christ, that demonstrate that we understand grace, that we have that walk in relationship. And, and to say that, yeah, I understand grace, but then I just keep on sinning and doing what I want. Paul says it in Romans. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. Certainly not. How can we who have died to sin live in it any longer? Certainly not. That is not grace. That is not an understanding of grace. Understanding grace is being changed. Seeing your own sin, walking in obedience. Paul 
as, we'll, as you would see throughout much of the New Testament, was a poster child of grace. And maybe you would look at your life and say the same. I've got that story. A poster child of grace. I, was, I had some serious issues. I was out persecuting the church. The reality is, grace is the same for all of us. It's there. And we are all saved by grace through faith, as Paul will go on later in this letter to write. Whether we think we are a good person or have been a good person, or whether we are the the worst of the worst, in which Paul would write at different times, basically he was both. He's like, you know what, I was, a, I, was, I was a religious person. I was doing the right thing, so I thought. Because apart from Christ, we're not doing the right thing. Then he said, I'm the chief of sinners. It's grace. We all need grace. One way or another, we all need grace. And his grace is poured out through Jesus Christ. He had an understanding and he shares that with us. And the word, for gr- the word grace occurs a dozen times in this letter. And the word for grace that's used here is charis in the Greek. And it was a very common Greek greeting. Now the next word, peace. Grace to you and peace. The word peace, shalom. A very common, the most common Hebrew greeting. What is Paul doing here? He's joining together Jew and Gentile in the bond of love through Jesus Christ. Jew and Gentile, it doesn't matter. It's grace and it's peace. This greeting is for all of you. This letter is for all of you. It doesn't matter what your ethnic background may be. It doesn't matter what your previous religious status may have been. Grace and peace. Peace being union. Bringing near and unified with God. Peace also. Grace and peace both also being essential starting points to the doctrines that will be unfolded here. Receiving God's grace allows us to walk in peace. To be at peace with God because of the grace of God and to experience the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Are we lacking peace? You see, Jesus has already done the work and has brought us near. We are brought near by the blood of the Lamb. There's that union. If we're lacking peace, then what's happening? Has Jesus moved farther away? Or have we? He hasn't gone anywhere. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Peace is that bringing near. And we not only have been brought to peace with God, but we can experience the peace of God over our lives, over our circumstances, and not getting caught up in things. Is Christ enough or not? Is his grace sufficient or not? If we're lacking peace, 
then likely we're lacking grace. We're lacking in our understanding of grace. So he says, then it is from our Father. Here's the word. It is grace and peace from our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He says again, this, he's saying from our Father, indicating the Jews and Gentiles in the church are members of God's common family. The same Father. If you are in Christ, whether you were Jew or Gentile, right? Whether Greek or Hebrew, it doesn't matter. We are one in Christ. Through God our Father. This picture of the oneness that Jesus prayed for in John 17. Among the body of Christ. That we would be one. And Paul is saying that no matter what, no matter your ethnic background, prior religion, we are one in Christ. God our Father, and this is where the grace and peace comes from, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace are both given equally from God our Father and Jesus, who is titled Lord. Because they are one. It's from both of them, God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. They are one. There's a picture, a great picture here of the Trinity and the the deity of Christ at the same time. Lord Jesus Christ. He is Lord. He became flesh. And in him becoming flesh and living on this earth and dying on the cross and raising from the dead, he became Savior. Jesus is Lord and Jesus is the foundation of all the doctrine of and faith. Grace and peace, they come from God, they come from Jesus through the work that Jesus Christ has done. And those are the essential starting points to the doctrine that we're going to unfold, but Jesus himself is the foundation of the doctrine. He's the foundation of faith. So there's the essential starting points grace and peace, and there's the essential foundation. You have Jesus is the foundation, and those are the things that get us started, grace and peace. And this is the beginning of how we can begin to unpack the doctrine in this letter to the church of Ephesus. Jesus is the foundation. Grace and peace are the starting points relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus is the most important thing in our lives, and relationship with us is the most important thing in our lives. And if you've not entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, it is the most important decision that you will ever make. Without him, we do not have grace and peace. We don't have a picture of grace and peace. He brought redemption. He was in the beginning with God. He is God. Co-equal with God. In closing, a quote by Martin Lloyd-Jones. says, anything which claims to be Christianity without having Christ at the beginning and the center and the end is a denial of Christianity. Call it what you will. 
There is no Christianity apart from him. Jesus is everything. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you today. We thank you so much for this this word from Ephesians. This picture that we have of grace in Christ and through Christ. Help us to understand and to walk with you. Help us to draw near to you, to be at peace. We trust in you. As I said just a moment ago, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that's the foundation. That's the starting point. And maybe you're here and you like coming to church. You're okay with coming to church. You like the experience of being here. The people are okay. But you're lacking relationship. Maybe you're lacking understanding and you don't know what's, what's the deal with all this doctrine. Listen, know Jesus and him crucified. And all these things will be added unto you. Understand that who Jesus is and what he's done. Start there. Walk with him, have a relationship with him. Seek first his kingdom and all these things will be added. Draw near to him and you'll see him do great things. He'll answer your question. You can build upon that, the different doctrines and and theology that we might read and study in scripture. You might want to answer all of your questions. You might be struggling and suffering and grieving and seeking for answers to your problems. It starts with Jesus. Jesus is the answer to your problems. His grace is sufficient for you. And he brings you near through the cross and through his blood. Would you receive him today? Enter into that relationship. So if you've never done that before, I'm gonna lead you quickly in a prayer before we partake in communion. You could say these words, say, dear Jesus, I confess that I'm a sinner. And I believe in you. I believe that you died on the cross and you rose from the dead. give you my heart would you come into my life that I might walk with you in Jesus name